Welcome to This Might Be a Podcast. Quick reminder, it is the last day of my big charity push for my student Garrett, who I mentioned on the last couple episodes. Uh, he is suffering from uh, brain cancer and is currently in Naperville, Illinois, uh, outside of Chicago, uh, or I guess part of the burbs, doing uh, his first week of treatments. So he's not feeling too great right now, but uh, it sounds like he's being a trooper. I talked to his mom again this morning. Um, I will be delivering a check to their house in Pine Village, Indiana, uh, on Sunday. So my last big push. I'm currently at $5,598, and I'm trying to get up to six k before I give them the check. So online donations uh, and stuff like that, you can contact me if you want to just donate, and I'll give you my PayPal uh, or Zelle could do either of those uh or go to this might be a podcast.bandcamp.com and download any of those things or i'll pay what you want so uh pay whatever you want to donate um and if you want to overpay a little bit bandcamp takes their fees or outdoorvalor.bandcamp.com or doppelpopolis.bandcamp.com uh or you can join the patreon i'm currently uh donating i'm donating as much as people um as my subscriptions are as much as i'm taking in in uh april and possibly May as well, which is currently $234. So if you join the Patreon, uh, make me donate more. And you can donate just for May and then jump out. You know, I'll send you your swag and all that. Grab some exclusive episodes. Uh, but for April and May, yeah, make me donate more. Force me to give his family more money. Uh, yeah. Oh, hey, we got a voicemail from a newbie. It's Laura. Hi, Greg. It's Laura. I had a thought on Sapphire Bullets. Really, the only thing I can think of when I hear it is the David Lynch movie, Blue Velvet. Dennis Hopper threatens someone with a love letter, and he says, you know what a love letter is? It's a bullet from a fucking gun, fucker! And that's the only thing I can think of when I hear it. I don't know if they're Lynch fans. The movie did come out in 86, so they could have seen it before this. I don't know. I just wanted to share that. (laughs) Okay, bye. Don't be a good neighbor to her. Hussin' the love letter. Straight from my heart, fucker! You know what a love letter is? The bullet from a fucking gun, fucker! You receive a love letter from me, you're fucked forever! You understand, fuck? I'll send you straight to hell, fucker! Welcome to This Might Be A Podcast, the song-by-song podcast about the greatest band of all time. They might be giants. I am your host, Greg Simpson, and I'm here today with returning guest, veteran guest, Jonathan Leonard, to talk about the song Minneapolis, a.k.a. First Avenue Stage, off of Venue Songs. Just before we got up here... All the guys were having a fight Marty was yelling at Danny and John John threw stuff at Dan But the anger we felt for each other Was kept in our private backstage world All our hatred was left behind When we took command of the first 
Avenue Stage Stage First Avenue Stage Avenue Stage Jonathan, hey, welcome back. Hey, Greg, thanks for having me once again. Yeah, you are a four... This is your fourth time, right? Yeah. You were on, and let me see if I can name them in order. You were on, first was uh, Museum of Idiots. Yep. Then Tick, 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 Tick. Yes. Then Memo to Human Resources. Yes. And now Minneapolis. That's it, right? Yeah. Well, I, I'm trying to think whether Memo happened. Mm, that's the only one that I've torn between is the, because I know Memo was a last minute thing. So, But still, those episodes, yes. I was out of town when we did that. I did that one from a hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> Last year at a music ed conference. Uh, you, which, mean, you mean when you could go places? Right. Well, that was virtual this year, and I just didn't do it because I was like, that's kind of lame. Well, also, also shouldn't be so cynical. As we're recording this, it seems consistently the uh, light is growing brighter, at least in Minnesota. There are some mm-hmm. restrictions that got... Uh, rolled back just recently and they expanded the uh vaccine rollout to at least here the next group of people of which i'm included being an essential worker through manufacturing and then uh and uh for a few other reasons but uh so hopefully so you're, soon you're uh getting vaccinated soon soon uh either through uh working at 3m which is where i work or uh the clinic whichever will call me first mm-hmm. i'll i'll do it that's awesome <laughs> by the time this episode comes out i will have uh been fully vaccinated i get my second shot uh, in a couple weeks yeah okay so here i went to the spreadsheet museum of idiots yep was uh released on may 31st 2019 holy hannah already then wow yep then tick 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 was yep. on october 31st that was a halloween episode oh, yeah yep uh also 2019 and then 2020 memo to human resources came out february 13th uh before so, the world shut down yes and so <laughs> And now I've made you wait quite a while no, that's for this, fine. but your your fourth episode. I'm yeah. trying to think. If any, I think Abby. you may be the first. Abby, Abby's been on three regular episodes. She's been on a handful of Patreons. Uh, too, so yeah. She she I'm may close. have made the most appearances total. Yeah, I but think we got to give that as, to her though. But as far as full weekly episodes with nothing hidden behind the paywall, okay. I think you're uh, the first to do. F- okay, four. there we go. Yeah thinking about it i th- yeah. think that might let's see i've had a lot of people could, that have been on two of well course. there we go we can have the the benchmark we could try to do the five timers club like saturday night live <laughs> <laughs> we'll all get we'll smoke- a big blowout we'll all yeah. get smoking jackets <laughs> for an audio for an audio medium yeah it will <laughs> it will be and and since this is an audio medium yes uh Martin Short and Steve Martin are also part of the Five Timers Club of This Might Be a Podcast. So we'll do the entire episode uh, <laughs> doing impressions of them, which I don't think I'd be very good at. <laughs> Wait, no. Sorry, I forgot. I think Martin Short's actually, I take that back, uh, uh, bad on me. They, I know because he's been in the skits, but I remember that uh, he's distinctly uh, four 
he's just outside of it so he's the waiter uh, at the five timers club uh <laughs> and they treat him like shit isn't uh goodman the guy that's been on the host that, that's hosted the most i i might might be baldwin Mm, yeah. uh, but I, yes goodman's in the five timers i I know baldwin is uh now that i'm thinking about it uh the most well, i'm googling it because this is important yeah most uh, most so- <laughs> recent time i know the most recent one was justin timberlake which i remember that skit with him joining the five timers club because uh steve martin said uh we didn't have money on you being the one from nsync to make it to the five timers club <laughs> we had our money on joey fatone <laughs> so you're you're correct that uh baldwin has the most with 17 okay uh steve martin 15 goodman 13 yeah okay tom hanks 10 buck henry 10 as well uh who hosted the finale for a string of years and that's how he uh i don't even know who that is but he is in the classic season they they don't uh have him in that skit he well he very well could be dead i don't i don't know <laughs> what, yeah, i don't know don't get down that rabbit hole of who's still alive with us i won't do that <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man it's mostly mostly men the high uh drew barrymore is the highest for the ladies. I gotta think pretty six times. I gotta think pretty soon, like Tina Fey or Kristen Wiig. She, she's done six as well, so I guess. Yeah, I was gonna there. say they'll get some women in there. Well, Scarlett Johansson's done six times too. Well, there we go. I expect that. Yeah. Well, anyway, what is this a podcast about? Um, I'm sure there's SNL podcasts <laughs> out there. I have not looked, but for for uh, probably called Team like, BG content. <laughs> Probably called what, live what, from New York, dot, 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 dot. Yeah, or live from wherever the hosts happen to live. Yeah. Uh, the, um, so if people want to hear about your fandom of They Might Be Giants, they would have to go all the way back to that Museum of Idiots episode, uh, which was number 30. Wait, I've lost it already. Way back to 32, episode 32. Okay. People have heard a lot from you, but it's been a while. I think yeah. a, a full year without... Uh, Mr. Leonard here. I think we we uh, gotta get get to, we gotta catch up. Yeah, now that we talk all the time on the internets, but um, yeah, it's been a while since we talked on the phone. So here we're talking about um, a song written for and about uh, your stomping grounds. Yeah, or at least yeah, at least uh, my the I would say at the very least the venue that I hold uh, closest to my heart probably. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say first with that. Uh, second, in terms of outdoor venue, I would say uh, Alpine Valley in Wisconsin. But other than that, those are the. But that's more like massive concert venue, Alpine Valley. But in terms of club, right. like good old rock club, yeah, it's 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 First Avenue. Have you ever been to the uh, another oh, the most famous venue for punk rock uh, up there? Is the the triple rock have you ever been there i believe i've been there once and that would have been uh with my uh that would have been with my wife but i i will put a gigantic uh caveat on that that it it definitely was not a punk rock show that i saw Mm -hmm. there uh it was a basically the best way to describe it would be like mini vans warp tour kind of show even though it wasn't right uh, but it yeah. was oh it was a uh pop rock p- 
punkish band, uh, I guess pop rock, uh, the main and two other bands that I don't remember. And then on the come up, it was, uh, uh, rap rock duo. Three Oh three is the headliners. Oh yeah. 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 The triple rock recently closed, but it was much beloved by, uh, punk rock bands. It's actually been mentioned in a bunch of songs. Like even no effects has a song called seeing double at the triple rock. <laughs> Yeah, I it, well, that's the I mean we're going to kind of get into this with the nature of of uh First Avenue and even just rock venues. It's extremely hard for these venues and not even pandemic uh notwithstanding, but extremely hard for these venues to even still be existing. I think I I I mean this will be kind of getting a little into First Avenue proper, but I remember that that Flansburg made mention at some point of the reason that uh the reason that they consistently to this day still like playing first avenue like first avenue stage they played it at every show since it debuted despite saying they're never going to play it again but (laughs) um but because of the fact that there's not too many of these venues that they made venue songs about that are still left there are there, there's a few, but there's a lot yeah, of them that. that they wrote about that don't even exist anymore. I'm sure that the only other get... venue song episode to air was uh, Stubbs in Austin, and that is still around. Yeah, and I, I that's mean, a and, company. And, <laughs> and I was thinking out, outside of it, like I, I know the egg still exists. I know uh, Mr. Small sure Trees is still around. Mr. Smalls, I believe, still exists. But yeah. I, but there's there's a few, but there's a lot of them that uh, don't even exist anymore. Oh, TLA still exists. So so I I think I think they just like playing it till the end of time, almost as a celebration of like these places we like are still here. Uh, yeah, I mean the songs were written uh, in 2004, released in 2005. So it's it's been a while, and for a rock club to survive. You know, uh, fifteen years is is a feat, and and this is and this will kind of tie into. Well, we can get into it eventually, but First Avenue history. I mean, the fact that we're, I yeah. if I saw right, uh, we are approaching very soon the fiftieth year anniversary of First Avenue. Wow! So, uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and tell us about uh, First Avenue Stage. You've been there. You've you've yes. studied up. I let you do the research for this episode uh, gladly. Yeah. Um, uh, do the work. Well, okay. <laughs> tell us. Well, I'll quickly, very, very quickly uh, uh, dive into my own personal history quick. Because I was, I was shocked. Um, this was a little bit ago. My parents, I, I kept a uh, clear picture frame thing that had uh, some notable tickets in there and i had my f- ticket for my first first avenue show in there it was uh, i went in middle school it was an all-ages show but we went to uh it was me and four buddies from school and we went to flogging molly at first avenue which mm. we were into at the and the the part that was sure. amazing was absolutely way too intense of a show for middle schoolers to be, <laughs> but here's here's what we ended up actually doing, which was cool. Um, one of the kids that we were with is a uh, kid who was handicapped and he was in crutches. And anyways, when it came in, it sort of swelled, and even before it got intense and moshing, before the band started, we were already up against the back wall. So we went up the stairs, and even though it technically wasn't uh, 
fire safe because we were with a friend who had clutches the security guys let us stand on the ledge between the two levels of staircase and that's how we watched that's how we watched the show was from this elevated plane that nice. didn't exist uh yeah you won't get uh yeah, uh, at, at floor 1.5. Te- technically, we were That's violating cool. fire code by doing that, but yeah. they, but <laughs> I think they sympathized with us being with a uh, handicapped friend and was like, oh my God, these middle schoolers are going to get their asses beat if they're... <laughs> well, hey, I guess they probably figured rather than get in trouble for not being, you know, handicap accessible, uh, like if there wasn't an elevator in the place, which there probably isn't... No, uh, no, there's you not. Know, they could maybe i don't know if they could get in trouble i mean i guess as long as you know someone in a wheelchair could get into the entrance of the place i'm not sure if they'd be no because there is a top there is a top balcony layer with seating and what have you but those yeah that fills up uh super super quick it's usually uh there's not really assigned seating there and so doors open it's a mad dash to either the front of the stage or the few seats that are there or what have you it's but it's an open open floor concept um so flogging molly what year was this do you remember this would have been 2004 2000 yeah it would have been like in the fall of 2004 venue songs tour year <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah uh because that that was actually a a, a thing back then because uh i thought i thought that was funnier than hell that I wasn't able to go. I, I remember interested in going to see. They might be giants at First Avenue for that show where they debuted it. But that was either eighteen and up or twenty-one and up. And I was, and somehow, uh, flogging Molly was all ages. I have no <laughs> idea how the hell that well, happened. That, but that punk rock stuff. I mean, I went to most of my <laughs> punk rock shows when I was fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Uh, well, there you yeah, go. that's that's their that's their bread and butter. But yeah, flogging Molly, man, they're 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 pretty cool. One of the the cool distinctions there is I remember when I first heard about them, their accordion player uh, is a former pro skater named Matt Hensley. Yeah, and I I have these old skate videos of him from the late eighties, early nineties, and when I first saw a picture of flogging Molly, I'm like that guy looks familiar. And I look at the <laughs> list of members, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Oh, I yeah. ended up seeing them quite a few times. Uh, only once actually at First Avenue, but then there was uh, this Irish festival thing in in Minneapolis that was big enough that they pulled them in, and it was a free, like a free part of the festival thing. So saw them in that sort of setting, which was which was a lot more fun you could and uh, even because uh, it was an outdoor venue and so it was more sprawling and you could stay back and enjoy the music without getting your ass beat and mm-hmm. and then you'd also see people come up with ingenious ways to uh work their way to the front of the stage the the one that uh will stick in my mind just as a concert memory period was people uh they had they had in the back chairs and what they decided to do was to get their way to the front they would have two chairs two folding chairs they would stand on one flip the other one over step onto that chair grab that chair (laughs) flip it over and they worked their way (laughs) all the way to the front that way even though at some point someone could just go get off the chair (laughs) like i don't know but somehow (laughs) that much i don't know if it was just that people appreciated the 
tenacity and fortitude of of these guys but i was uh, seriously but yeah they worked their way from the back to the front just by virtue of almost like a gym set stepping chair to chair to chair flipping it over (laughs) amazing that's Uh, funny anyway (laughs) but anyways Uh, had you seen they might be giants by this point oh, i mean yes, yes. being in middle school yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. oh I'm, you had already seen them I, I couldn't remember yeah um in fact i even uh it'll probably tie into this but i i i think i honestly got the perfect first first show like the perfect circumstances mm-hmm. situation i saw them i have the wiki page up uh september 12th 2008 and i even see my lame ass uh tmbw review of the show oh yeah (laughs) nice (laughs) front and center making the point that i did see i did uh download three of the shows online and so i felt like i was a uh they might be giants live buff before i i saw them you would have been so young uh let's see i would have i was 20 at that show okay Wait, when was I... Okay, wait, wait a second. What year did you say the Floggy Molly show was? 2004. But I thought you said you were middle... Hold on, I'm confused with wait, the timeline. Wait, wait a sec. Was that 04? Hold on. Hold on one second. Honestly, we'll cut this out, but just one second. Yeah, no, I will trim this. <laughs> okay, my mistake. That was 2002. I knew the math now didn't add up. Okay. <laughs> I, I physically went and looked at the ticket. uh opening act uh bands that i haven't heard of uh, before or since it was a band called the street dogs and a band Mm. called the briggs i've heard of both of them but i have no idea what they sound like they're probably like street punk bands uh but anyway i'm not i'm not super into the irish punk even like the pogues like you know now and then i'm i'm up for that kind of thing but i would probably enjoy seeing a band like Floggy Molly or Dropkick Murphys, but uh, I'm not going to go out of my way. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, the thing about that was just, uh, you know, you're in that middle school brain, and uh, and and for those songs, you thought even the recordings were fast and cool and intense. And there's just something about live music, period, that tends to make most bands uh, amp up set intensity. And so even faster of this already intense fast music like oh, to yeah. a middle schooler it just makes you even if it's irish punk or whatever it just makes you go ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah just uh oh, fires you up yes. and you and yeah. you hear the you hear the drummer count off and you're like oh shit this is gonna be a f- <laughs> this is gonna <laughs> be a fast one um yeah i can speak from experience on both of those sides being a performer everything does g- get quicker when you're when you're doing it live it's got to be Typically. the adrenaline and uh, as far as playing punk rock for for kids, uh, on occasion I've played "Me First and the Gimme Gimmies for students after we if we happen to have learned a song that they've covered, which yeah. is a lot of songs. Uh, whenever I play it for kids, they're like, "Whoa!" Because <laughs> most of the time they never heard something like that. Oh, gee, it's kind of nuts to go through uh, this this the stuff even from the first show because the one thing that i distinctly remember and they do have it listed here at my at my first they might be giant show they did a bit on stage that they have only performed once and it was mm-hmm. at my show and they never did it again 
but I distinctly remember yeah. the bit. It was it was a thing <laughs> called Destroy All Songs, and what they did was that at least this is what they called it. I had no idea what happened, but for some reason they decided to each take a chunk of like a notable guitar, bass, synth, and drum riff of history. And they played it one after another, then decided to play all of them play that same iconic moment at the same time as they yelled, <laughs> destroy all songs on it. Like, and, and what I distinctly remember, I only remember Flans, Linnell, and what Marty did. I don't remember Dan or Danny what they did. I know uh, Flans played the beginning of Prince's Kiss. And so all he played was... Uh, and that's all. <laughs> and uh, Marty played the opening drum bit to uh, Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin, did that. And I distinctly remember Linnell did the uh, opening synth part to Van Halen's Jump. <laughs> all at the same time. Uh, well, I mean, they, well, they played it individually, and then yeah, all of those right. were playing on top of oh, on top of that. each other. And then, and but, and, and ended up being just this. Like the way that someone described it on their side of right, it was like it was almost like uh, old old school spin the dial, but kind of a little bit more on acid with all of the all of the parts playing on top of it, and then it led to the weirdest version of "She's an Angel" that I ever heard of. <laughs> and, but what what's awesome is uh, as of this week, there was this Google Drive that came up with. Uh, that the miscellaneous T people put together of all of the soundboard downloads. Cause it's been this long since they've even been available to download much less purchase. Right. So I, you know, it's not really uh dicking the band out of any money or anything, but I, f I looked as late as I could and I did find one version of she's an angel. That sounds like the version that I heard that I heard. It was this, what made it weird was it had just this droning, but then it had this weird, almost reggaetonic sounding drum beat that John Linnell mm -hmm. had for the verses. It was normal chorus, but it had like, instead of him, he was singing it over top of this beat that was like, like this weird, <laughs> instead of instead of just the do, 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 like, yeah. but instead it was this weird... <laughs> that sounds pretty good. This weird drum beat. But anyways, um so that first time you ever saw them uh it was not at First Avenue stage. Where was no, it? No, it was at First Avenue. Oh, it was at First Okay, so wait, the very first time you saw the Memphis Giants was at First Avenue stage? Yes, that's that's honestly okay. that's actually the only place I've seen them uh at all oh. up until this this point. Um I am once the tour begins, uh there's, they're doing a show at First Avenue, but my brother and I have tickets to see them at the Fitzgerald Theater, which was the uh, old home of the Prairie Home Companion, and uh, have mm, awesome mm -hmm. seats. But, uh, but to tie it back to First Avenue, uh, First Avenue bought the Fitzgerald Theater from Minnesota Public Radio, so it is a... Yeah, I was looking at their it's another First Avenue website. Yeah, it's another performance They space. own yeah. and operate the Depot Tavern, yep. 7th Street Entry, yep. the Turf Club, the Fine Line, mm -hmm. the Fitzgerald Theater, the First Avenue Main Room, and co-operate the Palace Theater. So clearly, whoever's running First Avenue, they uh, are doing quite well. Well, right. Uh, that, that's actually yeah. the, the funny thing that ties into the entire history. But they said it's, only, <laughs> it's honestly only been fairly recently... That First Avenue has been even a profitable 
uh, entity. Majority of the time, it's been a money loser. I guess a, a, we'll get into the history, but a, a tight little uh, spike when something in the '80s happened that we will get to, <laughs> we will get to in First <laughs> Avenue history. But well, uh, yeah, well, uh, take us take us down that history, you know, before we get into the song. Okay, well, first of all, again, it is uh, it's two venues within that building. It's you have it's technically called First Avenue and Seventh Street Entry, also known as the main room and the entry. The entry is a side little venue that is maybe a uh, couple hundred people, but uh, and it's for lesser known sort of bands, but uh, sure, locals and such. Actually, okay, I was wrong. Uh, 50s is the 50th anniversary was last year, but okay, but uh, and then made the point of uh, just saying that uh, First Avenue is just to give an idea of the weight of the place we're talking. It's uh, cultural weight and history is matched only by a few clubs in uh, the United States: uh, CBGBs, Maxwell's, Metro Chicago, and the 930 Club. But uh, in terms mm. of but uh, mm-hmm. it, anyways, it initially uh, opened. It was a it it was a uh, bus depot for Greyhound Lines in 1937. Really? Uh, wow! Uh, huh. But uh, yeah, and so it had this. It was known for uh, the amenities of air conditioning and shower rooms, as well as public uh, telephones. <laughs> and uh, the. The part now that will make this sound different and weird is that it says the exterior was uh, shiny blue bricks with white trim, uh, but it's huh. it's now uh, well, Greyhound buses colors are uh, I believe blue right and, white. and it says uh, the transformation uh, I have I have some notes here but uh, the transformation yeah. from a bus depot to a concert venue does have a disputed uh, history in terms of how uh-huh. it happened but said that uh it said that uh alan fingerhut is the guy who got it switched over uh heir to the fingerhut catalog company had capital invested 150,000, and danny stevens of danny's reasons had a hard to get liquor license at the time and both men agreed with a promoter named skip goucher had the idea <laughs> For, to turn the night cl- uh, to turn First Avenue into a nightclub, and uh, the, at first it was not called First Avenue; they called it the Depot, and it opened in uh, April third, nineteen seventy, with Joe Cocker as the first headliner. Oh wow! To perform it, and a stage crowded with twenty-seven musicians, two uh, sets, and says here. Among Cocker's Mad Dogs and Englishmen that day was Leon Russell, Rita Coolidge, Claudia Lanier, Jim Keltner, Jim Price, and Bobby Keys. I do not know a single name out of that besides Joe Cocker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it says, uh, facing only two years of steady business, uh, basically it, they came in right at the end of the psychedelic rock era. Yeah. And disco became the hot thing obviously yeah <laughs> and so they ended up changing their name from the depot not to first avenue yet but to uh a place called uncle sam's <laughs> and it had a red white and okay. blue patriotic themed uh basically nightclub with recorded music a drummer <laughs> dj and a light up plexiglass floor 
Oh uh, yeah. They, the, the way it was described as Studio 54 for the <laughs> Oh, sorry. I just I haven't seen this before. This uh quote uh Studio 54 for the discriminating Kmart shopper. <laughs> <laughs> that's great but anyways uh so as it, it eventually uh switched up let me just double check when the heck it yeah okay uh for capacity yeah you got 7th street 250 first avenue can have 1500 people in there mm-hmm. and it uh so the the whole sort of thing that um switched switched it to first avenue and what have you is all around the time of the uh prince explosion uh and and it does seem like the standard thing to talk about with first avenue but it had a bigger or a bigger impact than just the movie um necessarily there's just this whole sort of thing about uh race and the fact that that Mm. it was there wasn't really too many happening venues in Minneapolis even in the 70s where you could have predominantly black headliners African American headliners really? mm-hmm. and uh and so this was sort of the way to break through that that barrier and uh made the point that said that uh, they got that uh they got uh the the guy that was a booker at the time booked Prince in 1981 for $2,500 plus part of the gate. Hmm. But in, wow. And said, uh, in total, Prince played nine full First Avenue concerts. And eventually, many people were believed that uh, Prince himself owned owned the club. But, uh, <laughs> but that's not true. No, no. And, uh, anyways, yeah. uh, the, so it sort of went on. And as I said, it, it eventually, uh, it wasn't really a moneymaker. Um, it did. Uh, very for a short chunk of time after uh, they might be giants in First Avenue stage, it did close at the end of 2004 for financial <laughs> reasons. It, it, it took about a couple of, uh, it did take a few weeks, but says the issues were quickly resolved. The judge presiding of the bankruptcy case noted, I gather there's some urgency about this because there was absolutely public outcry about this venue closing just from the historical thing like it yeah. became a prideful yeah. sort of a place and but it uh okay okay uh that it sh- uh, shows resumed after only a one week closure here comes the funniest part uh, <laughs> the yeah. mayor of minneapolis at the time rt ryback who uh, i am friends with on facebook uh, <laughs> um, he promised to do a stage dive at the first show after reopening because he had done that before, but decided to drop it, the idea when he heard who the first band to play would be after they came back. Uh, the, yeah. The, Who's it? It was Gore. <laughs> he was scared. He was scared yeah. of Gore. Well, <laughs> They do decapitate uh, politicians on the reg at their shows there. So <laughs> I, I could understand it. Um, and, uh, but anyways, uh, the, and, uh, and so on top of it, they do also own a bar that's right next to first Avenue as well. That is sort of the, when the place is closed, that's where you go to get uh, your tickets 
more than necessarily a box office, but they called mm. that uh, they called that the depot. So even the, uh, okay. so even the re- bar and restaurant has the old name of old uh, First Avenue, and uh, and then the other common thing that's known about First Avenue, and there's definitely an interesting way to talk about it. I don't know if you, I should have sent this to you. I've never actually shown this to you, but the most notable thing about First Avenue is it's completely black walls and all along the outside are these stars that have band names of notable bands that have come through. And I don't know if you've ever seen this at all, but there is a video off of, they might be giants YouTube channel of John Flansburg trying to find the, they might be giant star that's on first Avenue. John Flansburg here looking for our star somewhere on the First Avenue wall, Nirvana, The Hold Steady, Cypress Hill, Rod Stewart and the Faces, The Cure, Taj Mahal Lee, Scratch Perry, Ween, Alice Cooper, Black Eyed Peas, Chubby Checker, The Eurythmics, Moby, Flaming Lips, White Stripes, Soul Coughing, Wilson Pickett, James Brown, where are we? Grandmaster Flash, Blur, Bjork, The Kinks, The Jayhawks, The Stray Cats, Suicide Commandos, Parliament Funkadelic, Lucinda Williams, Sonic Youth, The Fugees, G-Love and Special Cool in the Gang, Ace Freely, Iggy Pop, Foo Fighters, B.B. King, Chris Isaac, Slipknot, De La Soul, Aerosmith, Spiritualized Cheap Trick, U2, Tapes and Tapes, Corn. where are we? Ray Charles, David Byrne, Elliot Smith, Sun Ra, Yeah Yeah Yes, Modest Mouse, Pavement, they said we were still here. Lenny Kravitz, Run DMC, Jeff Buckley, Guar, Jonathan Richmond, Rancid. Where are we? Are we up there somewhere? Well, evidently, uh, we're not on the same side of the building that we used to be on, so hopefully we're somewhere here. Sunvolt, Black Flag, Death Cap for Cutie, Semisonic, Public Enemy, Alex Chilton, Yola Tango, Paul Simon, Fugazi, The Replacements, The Exit door to the 7th Street entry. Meet puppets. Where are the residents? Awesome. Social distortion. John Spencer Blues Explosion. Ohio Players. Camper Van Beethoven. Sisters of Mercy. White Zombie. Stereo Lab. Limp Biscuit. Where are we? They said we were on the wall. Ah, wait. Oh, they might be giants. There we go. They might be giants. Dr. John, Steel Pulse, the Plasmatics. They might be giants. The ultimate quad trinity plus one. Excellent. <laughs> That's awesome that they have one, that they have a star. Yeah. Oh, uh, let me see here. Oh, yeah. There's a, uh, there's a lot of uh, notable people. There's only... Uh, and then there are a couple people who uh, have special uh, stars on there. Like uh, they decided to paint uh, Prince's star is gold on on the on the building. They repainted his gold, and then last year, after the tragic death of George Floyd, they put a star for George Floyd on oh, First Avenue. Cool. So. Hey, move your head slightly to the right, because there's a kitty right behind you. Yeah, oh. yeah. I got a cat tree behind me. 
That is. Oh, there we go. That is that is that is one of my cats, Neo. Wanted to get a Neo. Wanted to get a picture. So I have never uh, performed at First Avenue Stage. Obviously, it's too big for how popular my bands are, which is not very. Uh, but I have played in Minneapolis. Um, did Minus World play there? Well, Outdoor Valor has only played Minneapolis once, and we played at Cause Spirits. I believe it is now closed. But <laughs> did you ever hear of that place? No, I it have was, not. You know, but I... It's funny. I was I was looking at the picture of First Avenue, and it's like right on the corner yeah. right, of a street. Um, and so was, was this place. But I'm like, I definitely did not play there. But what was the name of it? And I looked back in our, our notes. And uh, yeah, Cause. Let's see if it's still open. It was a cool place. You could maybe get in the entry. <laughs> let's see but the only uh, the only thing that's a, a pain about the uh, entry is uh that i guess apparently I, even though i can't find it in the wiki i remember one first avenue show that i went to with they might be giants where flansburg talked about playing at the seventh street entry so that must have been early early in their duo era because the first noted is them playing at first avenue proper but uh but mm-hmm. he mentioned the fact that there is no stage at the 7th Street entry, and so he called it a prolonged staring contest between the audience and the band. That's how it, that's how it <laughs> felt performing. And, and, I, and I guess I get an idea of the vibe of what that would be like. Um, the only – okay, I should actually say there is one other – I don't know – <laughs> I, people are torn of whether in-store performances count as a They Might Be Giants concert or not. I did see one. I'd say so. Okay. Well, then, technically, I've seen a venue somewhere other than First Avenue for an in-store performance. Uh, uh-huh. The same day as a First Avenue show, it was actually happened to be Record Store Day. They played at a uh, sure. record store in Minneapolis called The Electric Fetus. And... Uh, decided and i was able to i showed up there late and uh almost i don't know i guess it probably wouldn't be in the same asshole way as the guys flipping chairs but somehow i finagled my way since i was by myself to being up front and i was right in front of uh flansburg uh so much so that if he wanted to lean forward uh his microphone end would hit me right in the right in the forehead (laughs) And, uh, and and then uh, and then of course then the comment that I I remember talking to Abby about this once that I said it's extremely weird because uh, they did play uh, it was four of the five uh, Dan was the only one that didn't uh, come over but uh, but anyways uh, that is weird that they opened with Doctor Worm and I had basically Flansburg right in my face doing the backing vocals of Doctor. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's great. Definitely a weird. That's great. But but yeah, it was it was fun. And then also uh, they did a meet and greet afterwards with the two Johns and got some stuff signed. And then there was actually a funny moment. I was there in my uh, instant fan club T-shirt, mm-hmm. and Flansburg goes, "Wait a second. And he saw that I had an instant fan club T-shirt. He pulled out this gigantic stack of they might be giant stickers. And he handed him to me and said, you know what to do, which I know for a fact he meant <laughs> pass these out to people before the show, after the show, what have you. Give these out to people. For some reason in my head, I did not know what to do. 
and I just ended up keeping that entire stack of <laughs> stickers that was so thick. Hogging them all. Um, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I, I think I arrived to the venue late, and so I couldn't just do it while I was waiting in line for doors to open, uh, what have you. So uh, the, thank God Flansburg isn't listening because I failed him. I will say that <laughs> right now. Um he could be listening. No, he's not listening. Um, <laughs> who knows if uh, if Pete at uh, their management is listening? Okay, uh, well, Pete, I failed and, him. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I doubt he is too. The okay, so uh, let's let's head back to First Avenue and let's start talking about the song. Okay. What, what say you? Yeah. So yeah, so it was debuted on uh, that tour where they're writing all the venue songs. Mm-hmm. So it was it, debuted on July 9th, two thousand four. The first venue song. I, I yes. Um, it uh, so I I'm of mixed emotions about this song which will be interesting when it comes to uh my audience score uh there's the uh-huh. first of all i will give credit to this uh i watch uh wait uh, one of my i guess guilty pleasures just because it's stupid entertainment i do watch shark tank and quite <laughs> and quite often they talk about the idea of proof of concept that's what I want mm-hmm. to give this song credit for. This was proof of concept of making a song, uh, a, ven- a venue song a day for each, because there's absolutely more inventive venue songs that they did. There's longer mm-hmm. venue songs that they did. But this was the beginning of can we do this? And it does utilize a uh, a trick that I do like, even though it's some might say it's cheap but i don't care um what's it it's it's terminology that i will take out of from watching professional wrestling but (laughs) they utilize something that's called the cheap pop if you know what if you know what that is i have not heard that well the idea of a cheap pop is basically getting it's it's called cheap because it's easy to do but eliciting a reaction from a crowd exclusively by making mention or reference to the place that you currently are sure. <laughs> yeah and a lot of rock bands do that yeah. exactly and so but it, hello Cleveland. exactly but it's known as the cheap pop because of the fact that it takes zero uh effort uh, the best example of uh cheap pop especially since you like working in simpsons when you can would be the entire <laughs> The entirety of the Spinal Tap guest appearance on yeah. The Simpsons, where he said, "We were coming down Route 409. It's <laughs> only five miles from my house." Uh, <laughs> yeah, easy to do and guaranteed to get. Uh, now, what's applause. even harder to do, which I've, I've seen sometimes uh, uh, bad pro wrestlers do, is to crap on the notion of the cheap pop that they'll just mention the town and they'll right. cheer and then they'll eventually just kind of go mockingly on it going hooray they said the name of my town <laughs> but yes or you just go ahead and just diss the town but yes it is absolutely this place smells but yes it is absolutely uh, cheap to do but that's what the song utilizes and that's why i think even as smart as it is on their end um besides them not including it for professional recording. I think the live version is the best version to do because the one that they put on uh, venue songs is the first time they performed it live. It opened the show in 2004. So people are excited to hear 
they might be giants. And so you get this awesome crowd pop swell when Linnell says, take command of the First Avenue stage. You just hear mm -hmm. <laughs> right in the back because people are like, this is where we are. Yep. Again, yep. extremely cheap, but I don't care. Uh, and and this is uh, one of the venue songs that only has a live version. They did not make no. a studio version, and they did not make a video for it. So the, I guess, you the know, closest, do they think that much of it? The closest themselves? to it was uh, Hodgman does reference the venue song in the beginning of the DVD. Like, there is some narration about it. but he Oh, but I'll have to grab He that. does end up saying, but we'll never... Mention, but he ends up making uh, it, it in his hilarious way of talking about the venues, and it's like this mixed, warbled history because he's the deranged millionaire. The bit mm -hmm. with Minnesota is he basically mixed together in his mind, almost like maybe the oh my god, I just pieced it together. The deranged millionaires, the, <laughs> the deranged millionaires, the character from Purple Toupee. Oh my God! Uh, have they have they have they said that, or that's what you're? No, guessing? I'm just piecing that together now. Because much like in Purple Toupee, how he mashes up his or history together, like Martin X was mad, yeah. he right. ends up in the First Avenue one, mashing up his memory of Garrison Keillor and Prince. As they're what does he say, man? I well, there's because I, I remember there's this whole thing of saying that uh, that he said uh, that basically referencing and with his hit song. Uh, like I think he ends up saying like uh, that with his hit song "Powder Milk Biscuit Rain," uh, like he <laughs> and and uh, and had and it had like a caricature of of uh, of had a a caricature of uh, Garrison Keillor's face, but with like a funky looking prince hat on and 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 that's amazing. Yeah, but so anyways, yeah. But, but anyways, uh, he did end up making some reference of saying, and the song will never be heard again. Like the same sort and, of And then it was. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's been played at every single First Avenue show that they've they've done. I I'll give them credit. They've they stick it all over the place and so you don't know when it's coming, so they keep the spontaneity. It's not always opening. I've heard it open the I've heard it open the show. I've heard it open the second set when they've done two sets. I've heard it Mm -hmm. open an encore set they've never done a set closer with it but they've done it for that or they've never done a show closer but other than that they've they've worked it uh in different places in the set list yeah i was just looking at a couple there's there's sometimes they've played it twice <laughs> yeah the, i know the first show they played it the, the first it's two under shows, a minute so they've played it twice uh the the only version that was any sort of difference, I, I I sent it to you. The second time that they played it uh, on the Else tour, they decided to uh, elicit uh, cowbell into the main chorus. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm guessing exclusively because of uh, "Take Out the Trash" being played on those shows as well. Like, let's have another one where somebody whacks away on the cowbell. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Nice, nice. And get the rockingness going on that one. So the song's got the cheap pop, yeah. but I'd say in a lot of the venue songs, I mean, obviously they're mentioning... Yeah. Are, are there any venue songs where they don't outright mention the name of the venue? That would be weird. Ooh, I don't think uh, so. I know somewhere it's... I know there's somewhere it's absolutely throwaway. I know that much. Like, it's not a... It's not... 
this is definitely one of the biggest cases of it being the crescendo of the song. Like I remember, uh, right. Like the, uh, the, uh, the variety playhouse is just thrown in like in the, the variety playhouse is like a house. Like it's just thrown in the beginning mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. what have you. I think there's some that are a little more subtle for a while it took a while for me to understand that there was a venue called the orange peel i just thought this is a weird freaking song about an orange peel uh, <laughs> right especially when they've got all those uh they've got the chopping block oranges song they're like what? i don't like singing about oranges <laughs> what is uh, there oranges I, yeah. and then uh and then they'll just hold them and go i just think they're neat <laughs> I just think they're neat. Ah, mom why are you always handing me potatoes what is it with you (laughs) Uh, so uh cheap pop aside what do you like about the lyrics of minneapolis now now what i like about the lyrics is uh so i i do sometimes tend to make connections between other songs i almost seem like this is the sequel smaller cousin i would say to they got lost because it's definitely the most uh name check of band members in it i mm-hmm. mean besides uh that verse and when will you die when will you die but yeah. but but uh i think it's one of those i think it's uh playing off of the fact of i'm sure they got well i know they still do but i'm sure they get interviews of like how do you guys stay together so long? How do you keep it fresh? How right. do you, yeah. how are you still together for so many years? And this is them going, we, we don't, <laughs> we hate each other. We keep our hatred backstage just for when we go up on stage, but we are throwing stuff at each other. We're rock and rollers. We're, <laughs> we're yeah. just clearly a joke. Yeah. We're just assholes <laughs> to each other on the bus, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, I think that that verse is hilarious. I mean, and really, the song is just a verse and a and, chorus. Well, and and for me, uh, listening to that show, that was actually my introduction because I didn't really pay attention to liner notes. That was the introduction to me hearing that they had a different drummer. That I had to do some. Big, oh, so yeah. I listened to the live yeah, show. Was brand new. So time. I listened to the live show like Marty. I'm like Marty. The hell is marty i i know yeah i know dan dan and danny what the heck is what is a marty uh (laughs) this was his first tour with them yes yes it it was but uh so there we go one of the first venue songs and instantly marty's getting name checked maybe maybe should have figured he'd be around for the long haul if he's getting name checked in the first venue song (laughs) i like the phrase i like I, i like the phrase uh we took command of the first command, stage. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, they definitely like uh, using like venue control, the whole idea of it. That's like what they like to, they definitely like that idea. Cause they kind of, uh, no cops. Exactly. Comes to mind. Exactly. They kind of jump to that. No cops of being like, I, I've, I noticed there's two common ones. It's that. And they also like using, uh, they also commonly like using their stage set up as, as metaphors for stuff uh, like, uh, like mm-hmm. rock club or like, again, the variety uh, playhouse is like a hospital. Like they do that stuff or Flansburg is stage banter telling the crowd that for Marty belly, your applause is his oxygen, like that kind of, 
yeah. Help, yeah. help Marty yeah. breathe. I, I, <laughs> like all that kind of stuff they like using. They like warp. I think I, I almost see it as uh, their own sort of fun way of, of making their, uh, making their performance sound on a grander, maybe on a grander stage to them than what it necessarily is. Like we're, we're like, mm-hmm. we're doing good work here <laughs> rather than. Yeah. And just command makes it seem like, like it, it almost goes along with that, uh, with the verse where it's like, we're such rock and rollers. We hate each other backstage. We're fighting, but we come out, we take command, you know, we're not just playing a show. We are commanding this stage because we rock so hard. Well, yeah. And then, and, and instantly plays into that. The fact that you have them, the, the you know just the piano and then the chorus kicks in like yeah it's it's the perfect yeah you know it's the first it's the perfect first uh venue song because yeah it name checks all the members it the hook is the name of the venue the way it's quiet and then explodes it's the perfect uh set opener even though like you said they haven't always open the set with it but uh it's the perfect set opener and it's the perfect it's it's just like it encapsulates the whole idea of the venue song and and being the first venue song it's uh it really was kind of like their their mission statement yep right right? their their thesis yep there had to be one uh and but again like i said there's absolutely ones as they go on and experiment some are full full-fledged song lengths this one kind of i'll say the length absolutely does take it down a little bit the fact that there wasn't anything more to it but 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 it also but it's also uh, but also on top of it maybe it's very much uh monty python-esque like maybe there isn't another verse to say that's that's fitting and would it necessarily be fun to listen to a full song of this bait and switch of them hating each other and then right if they did like two or three verses maybe there is a shot of you just going okay we get we get the joke right there's something to the hit it and quit it you know it's it's the guided by voices technique you just you know you rock it and then you get out try to figure out the uh the key of this song so clearly the the verse is clearly in c Mm -hmm. okay we got c g a minor f uh but then it switches to let's see the the chorus starts on C as well, but then we got a B flat, and what's listed on the wiki is a D sharp, but I'd probably say E flat. Let me see. I think it just switches to uh, C minor. C minor. So if the the uh, switch from C major to C minor. You know, it, well, what's funny is that they they hate each other. The verse they hate each other, and that's the prettier sounding major key. <laughs> and when they take command, they go to the minor key. It could it could have been switched. Yeah, okay. It's it's going. You call that a parallel? The parallel key. Okay. For the for the key change, going from C major to C minor. Okay. And I'm not hearing an echo anymore, so I think you got okay. it. Yeah. Uh, technology. <laughs> but yeah, this song is is pretty quick to talk about yeah. i i think we've covered all the lyrics in the mu- talking about the actual first avenue uh venue itself was was a big chunk of what we wanted to talk about here anyway it's such a short song and uh pretty simple in concept but like i said it's it 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 does 
what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. It gets in and <laughs> Should we head to the covers section? Oh, uh and then <laughs> and then somewhere in there you'll stick in that extra little version from from the Oh yeah. Yeah, let's go ahead and listen to uh, a different live version. Oh, yeah, this is the very first venue song that we ever performed. We call it legendary, but it's beyond that. It's actually it's actually mythic because no one knows anything about it. That's right. We're not even sure if we actually made that record. So here's the song, First Avenue Stage. Oh, I gave it away. And it's called First Avenue Stage. I think it would know something like... Just before we got up here, all the guys were having a fight. Johnny was yelling at Marty and Dan. John threw stuff at Dan. But the anger we felt for each other was left in our private backstage world. All of our hatred was left behind when we took command of the first Avenue State. So there we get some accordion on it instead of piano. Yep, they decided to play this right at, oh, see, different spot, right in the encore slot, right before the last song. So not the last mm-hmm. song. They they closed off the show with damn good times, but. Uh, good closer. Yeah. <laughs> so let's head to the cover section. Now, okay. uh, yeah, you were doing most of the work for me for this episode, and you were starting to look for covers over a week ago. Yeah. And you're like, nope, can't find any. Uh, <laughs> but then I found one. Oh, yeah. Because I made it. <laughs> so <laughs> on Friday at school, uh, I had a little bit of time before my first class came in. And first I I tried playing it on the piano in my classroom. And I was like, wait, that would be, that's it's already on piano. The original is piano. So I grabbed my guitar. So let's try it like that. Uh, so and I customized it uh, since I am not in a band with anyone named Marty, Dan, Danny, or John. Uh, so I, I customized it uh, and also made it about the venue that me and my band play the most. So let's let's check out my quote unquote cover or parody or whatever you want to call it of First Avenue Stage, which I am retitling the Spot Stage. Just What do you think of my cover? <laughs> Slow clap. 
<laughs> this, uh, is where I, this is where I drop in a huge applause sound clip. <laughs> no, uh, it, it, uh, I, uh, I, it, it absolutely uh, <laughs> took me aback at first. I was just like, oh, hold on. Well, first you said you found a cover. I'm just like, at first. <laughs> I didn't tell you it was me. <laughs> no, uh, when I first saw that, I was just like, some poor pitiful soul decided to cover this? <laughs> like, at straight? Like, you're not because see that was that was where the, what you decided was exactly where I was torn. I'm like, who out there would want to do a song where you're name checking people that aren't you in a band that you're not in in a venue you're not performing at? <laughs> like, like this, out of any song to be upset that there isn't any covers, this will not be the hill that I die on of anger of right. why are there no covers? So you you owned it and made it your own. And it's about you, so it works. Had to change it, <laughs> uh, and, and it's funny. You can hear the. Um, I just recorded it on my phone on the voice memo app, and you can hear just how much it compresses the sound because when I'm playing it, it it sounds louder when I'm playing it quietly. The little arpeggiated part at the beginning, but then when I really start strumming hard on the chorus, it <laughs> it it brings the volume down, so it kind of loses its. Power. There's like this volume fluctuation on there, but well, I was just see, like, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'm not going to multi-track. I, I did. I think I did do five takes of it, so I spent a little bit of time. That was the fifth take, uh, just to get the arpeggios okay. the way I wanted well, in the little well, I hammer runs. I will say <laughs> this: I, I listened to it as I was walking to my car on my phone, so I listened to it from. So technically from your phone to my phone. Mm -hmm. So maybe I listened to it the way that it was best intended. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so it's, it's uh, lo-fi it's bedroom pop. It's classroom so we, pop. So actually a uh, uh, special assignment for you people. If you already listened to this and you had it hooked into a Bluetooth speaker or something like that, unpair it. We'll wind this episode back. Listen to the cover through your default iPod or phone speaker the way Greg intended and you, and it will go perfectly. <laughs> or dub it to cassette and then listen to it like that. Uh, oh, yeah. our, I, well, and the, I saw that this week. RIP to the uh, inventor of the cassette passed oh, away yeah. this week. Yeah, Otto, I'm forgetting. Absolutely um, saw a lot of jokes of people saying, did, did anybody try a pencil to try to bring him back? I'm like, oh, come on. A man has died. Like, mom, like, a man I, just died. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, he now to be fair to uh, for this, I mean, he was old, so it's not yeah. it's not like uh, right. how did he die? He was uh, uh, dune jumping and his ATV crashed. He was not. He, he was, was in his turning 90s. the cassette over in his car. <laughs> Took his eyes off the road for a split second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know when you were saying it would be very weird for someone else to cover this what would be it's, uh, the most perfect cover i could think of for this would be let's say let's say bob mold okay from from minneapolis uh famous for go. husker do and sugar and his solo career is still going yeah i'd imagine these days he'd be playing places about as the size the capacity of first avenue stage he has and a star husker do does have a star Nice, nice. <laughs> if Bob Mould covered this song, uh, he he could put, you know, his his bandmates in there. He does have a John. John Worcester is usually his yeah. drummer, uh, and he could keep the First Avenue stage. Uh, but what what would be extra perfect about that 
is it would be reversing the roles of the Daily Show theme, which Bob Mould wrote <laughs> yes. and performed for the Craig yes. Kilborn version, and then They Might Be Giants did covered it and did their version for the Jon Stewart Daily yes. Show. So be flipping the roles. Let's, there, we, uh, <laughs> there we go. There we I'll, go. I'll, I'll tweet out to Bob Mould. I was going to say, Bob Mould, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Next time you play First Avenues, do it. Do it. <laughs> do it. I think it's time to score this song. Okay. These are tough ones. These Yeah. Songs. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to say this now. I do make a point to take a look at uh, the wiki rankings. Um, it's, it's, I'm, fair, it's I'm uh, surprisingly going, high. I'm not going that high. I, I'm disappointed. Uh, I will be disappointing uh, 19 of you. Okay, I think I there are nineteen people from Minneapolis. Is what I'm I don't thinking. feel too bad. I, it's it's at three eighteen out of nine ten. Average rating of eight point four seven. It okay. I will tell you right now, and I'll and uh, one of those nineteen is not me. So it's not my fault. <laughs> Before we get to that, I'm not going that high. Uh, not even close. Uh, I would give okay. it. If I had to give, uh, I would say I would give it a solid four point three. I'd say something okay. like that. Okay. Um, I'm debating this. The only venue song I've done, like I said, was Stubbs, Austin, and I. I hold on. I'm double checking. I believe that is currently my lowest scored song <laughs> at four point nine. I honestly would not be shocked if if you like Stubbs more than this one. i don't know that i do because i think i mean stubs should have maybe been lower honestly but (laughs) 4.9 is the lowest score i've given i believe below what did i give yeah i gave tesla 2468 i gave that a 5.1 so that was the next highest um because I, I i i don't mind the artsy crazy nature of the tesla 2468 but um I think I like this slightly better than Stubbs just because, okay. I mean, the Stubbs, woo, that is fun. But I just love the sef- self-referential nature. Okay. The, the hilarious thought of, you know, these very mild-mannered seeming guys, you know, fighting backstage. The the key change, the the quiet to loud. And like I said, it's like a the perfect, like, thesis statement of yeah. you know this is what the venue songs are going to be like so i i think i'm just going to go a couple notches higher i'm going to go okay. 5.2 just to put it above uh stubs, stubs. and tesla 2468 <laughs> so yeah. we'll go 5.2 you know maybe a bit of a throwaway but it's a crowd pleaser at least okay. in one town so <laughs> 5.2 okay <laughs> you got anything you want to plug um, I am occasionally on the uh, YouTube show. The uh, you'd have to find the Shooting Star Press. Uh, can find that out on YouTube. It's me and two other guys every now and then. Uh, oh, it's me every now and then. They're the constants, but I'm on as a guest every now and then, uh, covering uh, professional wrestling outside of World Wrestling Entertainment. I'm still occasionally doing episodes of the Gorekeeper Horror Movie Podcast. Mm-hmm. And so those are available in all places that podcasts can be found. The Gorekeeper. Yeah. 
Nice. And and, and do you rank movies and, and say are, what what gore are you going to give this? Song? Well, <laughs> no, no, there isn't. It isn't so much ranking. It falls onto uh, more of uh, recommending. We end up doing rankings on uh, the app Letterboxd, which is a very nice, fun little even self-referential ranking tool yeah. you can do that for any any movie uh and any genre or what have you but um uh, that well Gorky, we're more so looking at movies that are uh underappreciated and trying to find the merits of it right. so it's not like necessarily we're going to be going and going like we're sure. going to go and look at the first friday the 13th like everyone's like right everyone knows friday the 13th the people it's who like it like it endlessly yeah yeah, or or I mean, we'll we'll cover movies that are possibly known as the crappiest in a franchise. Like right. when we did a we did an episode on Jason X, uh, <laughs> the one where they're in space. <laughs> in space, no one can hear you scream. I believe that's the movie tagline. I, well, that and and just and 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 you end up finding the merits of it. Like if you shut your brain off, it is fun. There right. is something absolutely fun about jason blasting someone in the face with liquid liquid nitrogen and then just shattering it <laughs> it is unabashedly <laughs> hilarious and and that's kind of like a reason that a way you can enjoy a song like uh minneapolis if you turn exactly. your brain off and don't think like oh i'm i'm trying to make this out to be one of they might giants masterpieces and they failed no. no but if you're like okay this is uh it's meant to be a crowd pleaser fair mission point. accomplished yeah <laughs> cool cool yeah well people can find this might be a podcast at this might be a podcast.com i'm trying to keep that up to date uh instagram is this might be a podcast with underscores between all of the words this might be a pod on twitter and send some emails people people don't email that much anymore they just want to tweet back at me or, or talk to me on Facebook and then I forget to mention their comments but a good way for you to get into the mailbag segment would be to actually email so I can find it when I record the episodes it's uh, this might be a pod at gmail or leave a voicemail 224-801-2930 you've heard this guy Jonathan Leonard on quite a few voicemails over the years uh, so yeah let's get some fresh faces too on the voicemail some fresh voices I suppose and if you really like what I'm doing and want to uh, support the podcast, patreon.com slash this might be a podcast. Jonathan, thanks for being on again. Four-timer. We'll get you that smoking jacket next time. <laughs> no problem. Thank you, Craig. <laughs> yeah. John threw stuff at but the anger we felt for each other was kept in our private backstage world. All our hatred was left behind when we took command of the first Avenue stage.